is the Rise Up Sea Red podcast, all about the Arizona Cardinals and the NFL, featuring insider and outsider perspectives. Enjoy the best hour of Cardinals talk on the web. Now here are your hosts, Jess Root and Seth Cox. Hello, Arizona Cardinals fans, and welcome to the latest edition of the Rise Up Sea Red podcast, the best hour of Cardinals talk on the web. I'm your host, Jess Root from CardsWire.com, the USA Today NFL Wire site, with my co-host, Seth Cox from RevengeOfTheBirds.com, SB Nation's Arizona Cardinals site, and also one of the hosts of the original Draft Breakdown podcast. Seth, we're in episode 424, and we are, we are dwindling down to the final parts of what is usually kind of off-season news. Um, Cardinals had rookie camp. They're about to start up OTAs next week, but there's a couple of there's a couple of things that we just can't shake. Um, I don't want to talk about it a whole lot, but one of them is that there's new wrinkles to the Terry McDonough case. We've got Buddha Baker's not happy still, um, and for kind of from there, it's it's just we get some insight. I know some people didn't care, but uh, Kevin Cobb, if you've got followed the Cardinals for long enough, uh, what an, in, what a, what a tough story for a guy that, that I know I was super excited about, but how are things for you these days? Uh, they're good. They're just busy. Uh, you know, it's off season football work. And so that's what, you know, we go with now and there's a lot of, a lot of stuff to it. And that's, you know, where we're at and, and we're just going through it and, you know, trying to stay positive about this uh, <laughs> Arizona Cardinals thing, because, you know, we want to enjoy this. We want to be positive about the uh, new, new situations, but it feels like so many of the old situations just keep, popping up yeah it is one of the things that's coming we're not going to talk really about it but um it came out on monday that with the terry mcdonough complaint against the cardinals and michael bidwill is that with that that really heavy-handed response that the cardinals released through through their representation you know kind of releasing basically detailing all the ways that mcdonough kind of sucked um he now added two more things to his complaint now defamation of character and invasion of privacy so this is this is going to go this thing's going to drag on for a long time didn't we kind of wonder aloud about that from a the little beginning bit too? like what what was i mean off the off the record not on this obviously i think we all talked kind of were like whoa what are they doing dragging the dirty laundry into the street, right? And and then, but we talked about how it was it was like a game of chicken because the one thing that Cardinals have mentioned is that McDonough was holding this thing over their head for a long time, and so this was a game of chicken. Cardinals were building up their, you know, okay, we whether or not whether or not it was like malicious, but they're like, hey, we've been working with you, Terry, or dude. You know, you keep hanging over. We've we've got our dossier on you, and it's like they phone. Finally, someone barked, and then the other said, "Okay, here's the stuff." Right, and and it just felt like it also just felt way out of line for uh, an employer to publicly respond that way. Right. Like 
it just it just didn't seem like what you would expect, especially. And I know you know Michael Bidwell was a prosecutor, but you know it's it's one of those situations that you just look at it and you you are kind of surprised to see it go as as um, as aggressively as it did. So. That, you know, it'll, isn't it'll, isn't that kind of par for the course for guys like like McCarthy, who's representing the team? Is that that is the sort of representation that they go with on the offensive, rather than just letting their their client get accused of stuff? They're like, no, okay, this guy is not a like, and basically trying to get him getting McDonough um, tried in the court of public opinion before this ever ever reaches arbitration. Yeah, and that's you know that's the unfortunate part of it, and and it's it's just interesting that it just seemed incredibly heavy-handed. I don't know how you felt, but like it just it, it just like felt, whoa that that my reaction was like whoa yeah, and it just you know it's just one of those situations that you look at it and you're like. I mean, we knew that of some of this stuff, right? We we had an idea, but to go so hard was just a really interesting choice. And so, <clears throat> it'll be it'll be interesting to see how and why and what um, how this all plays out in the end, because it just feels like right now the Cardinals put themselves in this position where we're dealing with this instead of like you said just let it go right like like hey we'll deal with this behind closed doors we will um will you know whether mcdonough wants money or or whatever uh, apology i'm not sure but you know like let's let's get that taken care of and instead um it just ended up being something way way more and and now it just feels it just feels like this is gonna kind of linger out there right yeah and it's kind of kind of the same situation we're, we're gonna lead with with this show we're four basic topics we're gonna talk about buddha baker the latest of of his unhappiness uh touch on the the kevin cobb story i think it's super intriguing i'm very interested in in, in at least some of the the twists and turns that that takes for the cardinals um, what the defense is actually going to kind of look like um, as a base. And then, I know this is lame, but you know, looks like we're going to have a new punter and, and long snapper in 2023. So let's start with Buda. Buda Baker, we already know, requested a trade uh, from the Cardinals. This happened before the draft. He, he, pers- he approached the front office seeking a contract extension, seeking to get a raise, uh, after what he's done over the last couple of years, since his last extension, he's got two years left on the deal. Cardinals basically said, mm, nope, we're not interested right now. There's a lot of reasons why they wouldn't do that. They really haven't committed much money to anyone other than Kyler Murray beyond 2024. Um, and even then, the, you know, Kyler's contract is structured in, in a way that, that you could change directions by then. Uh, they don't give him the contract extension. They don't do anything with this contract and he requests a trade and and this offseason in particular his his social media message has been one of 
he is disrespected. And that was the la- that was the latest one on his Instagram story on Tuesday. And he's doing a workout and you, physically that dude is cut. Like as it's been described, it's, he's got abs on his back. Um, just how how much he's been working out. But as he's doing his lifting, there's the qu- there's the caption, there's a question. Buddha, how you feeling? He's like, I feel like I'm being disrespected. Um, cryptic at best, um, or cryptic at worst, and de- re- referring directly to the Cardinals is kind of the situation there. How much do you think this is chip on the shoulder, this is creating chip on his shoulder to go and perform better? And how much of that is energy directed at the team? Yeah, it's interesting because it just feels like sometimes it feels like he's yelling into the wind. You know what I'm saying? And and, and I'm not I'm just not sure what his expectation or what his what he wants from this. I know um, I know at minimum what he would like is guarantees for this year, which honestly seems like an easy thing to do for the Cardinals. Um, there's, there's different ways to do that just to, and, and I've often wondered why teams don't do that more often. We, we saw it have a couple years, a couple, three years ago with, with like Julio Jones. I think they kind of did that where it really wasn't necessarily any more money, but they guaranteed more of the money of the upcoming season. If there's a little bit of con- concern for security, um, because he has no guarantees left, an easy thing to do would be to, hey Buddha, let's guarantee your salary this year. I know that, I know that does cost the team up front with uh, that stupid escrow rule that they've got, um, which another day we'll talk about that. And if we've mentioned it before, it's a dumb rule. It, basically, I think what it is is that the league it, it stems from the time of long ago, uh, back when the NFL was still fairly young, and to make sure that they could that they could um, make payroll and meet their their contractual guarantees to players, that they had to put the amount in gar- that they have guaranteed. I, I think it's for this and next season into an escrow account, and that was kind of one of the things that was the sticking point for like. Kyler Murray's um, contract in the Cardinals because it was coming off the heels of Deshaun Watson getting that fully guaranteed deal. And it's a little bit different because the ownership situation in, in, in Cleveland is such that the owner's money is not all in the football team. It, his fortune came from other stuff. And the Bidwells are a football family. And so there's that. So I, I know it does cost, like, if they guarantee Buddha's salary this year, it does double that up, essentially, because they have to move that much money into that escrow account. That said, at minimum, I know Buddha wants, from conversations I've had with people, Buddha at least wants some guarantees for this year, because there is, the, and I think this is his agent, and I think this is what you said, this is par for the course for his agent's clients. Yeah, and that's and that's why it's uh, interesting to see it and and kind of follow along with it because it's just one of those situations where 
as we talked about, from an ability standpoint, he's clearly one of the best players on the team. That's really good, and he, you know, he is deserved of the money, but he's been one of the best players on the team, and the team hasn't been good, and so that's, you know, something that they got to figure out from here and, and decide what, you know, they're going to do. Um, yeah. So, I mean, and so you just have to figure out where you want to invest and it's not that you want to get rid of Buddha or any actively try to get rid of Buddha or, you know, anything of that nature, but at the same time you do have to really prepare to start changing the way that this organization is built. And that's one of the things you and I have talked about, right? Is that this, this safety and linebacker investment has not worked. And it's why you're so depleted along the front defensive line at cornerback, um, you know, at edge rusher, because you just haven't really invested in those premium or premier positions, but you have invested. I mean, the Cardinals have the third highest salary cap on safeties in the NFL. And we like both Buddha and Jalen. Like we don't see any issues with them. We wouldn't, you know, wish them away by any means, but at the same time, it's not like, it's not like your defense is playing at a high enough level where you can justify paying safeties that much, right? Like if, if you're, defense is playing well as a collective and your, you know, and your safeties are your best defensive players. That's fine. But if when your defense is flat out bad and your safeties are your best defensive players, it's like, I mean, can it get that much worse? I guess maybe the new safeties aren't going to make as many open field tackles, but outside of that, you know, you need to start investing up front. You need to start investing along the lines. And so that's just, you know, kind of how you have to look at it and, like we always say, we're we're on the player side. We get where Buddha's coming from. I'm just not sure that's the way to continue to to construct and operate for this team, um, with with all of the issues and holes that they have. And and for me, the one thing I worry about is is this this commonly used strategy to obtain. Um, a better scenario, whether it's a different team where they pay you more money, it doesn't play well in most fan bases, especially ours. Um, think of think of how Chandler Jones and Patrick Peterson took uh, a hit in their public per- perception of them when they when they went through what they did. Um, the same thing is starting to happen with Buddha. A guy who is like literally everyone loves how he plays and does everything, but now it feels, and and some fans are going to get turned off by this because they know he's being paid well, they know he's still got two years left on his deal, um, they know the situation the Cardinals are in, and so it's. I just wonder how this. I hope this doesn't do anything in the locker room because not that I think there's going to be a sort of fracture, but 
one of the things that Buddha's become is be, become kind of the heart and soul of the team. And if he's at odds with the organization, that makes it harder to be that example leader of men within the locker room. Um, and my guess, my guess is that with the cachet of respect that he has from his teammates, no one's going to doubt him. And he's going to give everything that he's got for his for his teammates, because that's where that counts, because you're you're laying things on the line for each other, not for the fans, not for the organization, but you play for the guys in the locker room and your coaches and and will continue to perform at a high level on the field. And then maybe if the new money comes, then everything's back to normal. But we like honestly the fans here have got too used to Larry Fitzgerald who held the leverage in every contract scenario almost with the Cardinals. Um, and so he never had to do any sort of unsettling public persona because he always had the leverage and got taken care of because he was in the lever he was in control of the situation. But that's the one thing I worry about is is a guy that's basically universally loved to see them begin to sour on such an important dude. Yeah. And it's just, I mean, it's just one of those situations where you look at it and you just understand where this team is coming from and what they, you know, what they need uh, as a whole. And it's one of those difficult conversations that we had that conversation about Larry kind of at the end too. Right. Um, That this, team needed um to spend potentially spend that money elsewhere and and i think that's again what you have to look at i'm not saying i'm saying i'm not saying that they need to move on or anything like that but they have to be judicious with how they're they're working these things the other thing is you know this is a new um this is a new regime and while Buddha is obviously amazing, you also don't know if you want to set a precedent, right? Right. Right. So, so like, can you just, can you just make this move? Like that's, that's the other question you have to ask about this whole thing. Yeah. There's no. They, I have a feeling this is going to linger on for most of the off season. We don't expect him to participate in OTAs coming up. That's voluntary. Whether I I don't, I don't know if he's one of those guys because Jonathan Gannon really kind of played it coy. He said that there were guys in the building who didn't practice. If he's in the building for classroom stuff and then just not participating in the, in the in the stuff on the grass, that's one thing. Um, but yeah, we we don't expect to see him other than in mini camp and training camp for the mandatory stuff. Um, you know, shades of Kyler Murray last year. Coming up next on the Rise Up Sea Red podcast, best our Cardinals talk of the web. Uh, Blast from the past, a name that we haven't heard in quite some time. We'll talk a little bit about the Kevin Cobb story. That's coming up next on Rise Up Sea Red. We're back on the Rise Up Sea Red podcast, best our Cardinals talk on the web. We haven't talked about Kevin Cobb. Whew. You know, honestly, on this podcast, we really never talked about him because we started that we started the show in July of 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 2013, um, which was by then Cobb was no longer on the team because they had released him. Uh, they had released John Skelton, 
after Bruce Arians took over. And so, so yeah, we didn't get really ever get to talk about Kevin Cobb other than lamenting what might have been. But there was a story that that came out where where Cobb revealed, um, kind of some of the issues that it's about, and it's about concussions, n- namely. Um, and there were there were some effects on that, kind of what what the league does to protect players, this and that. The, the whole concussion issue. He ended up retiring in 2013 after he suffered a fourth con- concussion in his career. The first one came when he was with the Eagles. It turns out that in 2011, now documented, we know that Cobb had turf toe and missed uh, four games or so in the middle of the season and then suffered a concussion after his, in like his second game back. And then in 2012, we kind of know what happened. He lost the starting job to John Skelton in training camp. Um, he actually then became the starter after John Skelton got hurt in the opener and Cobb led them to the game-winning touchdown. He starts the next three games. The Cardinals go 4-0. and And then after getting bloodied and beat to a pulp by the Saints, I mean by the Rams on Thursday night football, getting sacked nine times at the end of the Buffalo Bills game, he gets crushed. Britman you know, breaks his sternum, and he's out for the year. Um, and he never played another NFL game because he, after he was cut by the Cardinals, he signed with the Bills. Um, he had a, a fluky, stupid injury happen on the on the like the sideline surface, not the but it, it was like the rubberized surface that they use. And he it was wet. He slipped and twisted his knee, and then in a preseason game, suffered his fourth concussion. What's interesting is that of the injuries that we knew about. There was a concussion we never knew about, and he, he revealed in this that he suffered a concussion in the second game of the season in 2011, his second game with the Cardinals um, against the Washington Redskins, then the Redskins. They ended up losing that game 22-21. He got absolutely destroyed by Brian Arakpo. Um, the, it, was, it was a gruesome description of what they said on TV. He never said anything to anyone, but he he had a concussion that game. Uh, the Redskins came back, and then they had a chance to come back in the final drive, and they just couldn't they just couldn't do it. The offense sputtered. The offense sputtered basically the entire fourth quarter, and, and they gave up the lead. And for the next four weeks, four or five weeks, he, without telling anyone, because this was still this is in, in 2011, right at the lockout. It was the very beginning of like the concussion talk, and I believe that. Um, that movie had just come out or was about to come out with with Will Smith. And I, like, that man's body just failed him. Now, the the interesting thing, and let's Seth talk a little bit uh, too, but in in this story, Cobb revealed that he told the team later on in the season. So after he suffered a concussion, he came back. Then the Ravens game, they got up 24-3. He injures his team. He gets turf toe, which fans don't understand turf toe. It's a little, he tore basically, he, he ripped all the ligaments in his, in his toe and it was, it was gruesome. And so it was very painful. He couldn't even hand the ball off real well. And we remember that he missed a lot of time with the turf toe. And everyone says turf toe. Oh, it's just a toe injury. Blah, 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 blah. It was pretty bad. Second game back, he got hit early, 
he took a knee to the helmet on early in the game against the San Francisco 49ers, and he actually had a concussion. He then went on to tell the team that he had suffered one earlier in the year and said, since that was now his third concussion of his career, if he were to suffer another one, he's going to retire. And this was, this was on the heels just a year after he had been traded. The Cardinals traded for him and gave him a big contract, which was big, big for that, that time. Then what was interesting is the fact, I think, I think, this is my theory, that Ken Wisenhunt, one who, who insisted that Cobb play after he injured his toe against Baltimore, uh, and, and even though the team doctor said he should come out, Wisenhunt insisted that he keep playing, so Cobb played. You know, that's, that's football mentality. You play through stuff. When Cobb told the team that, I think it made... Wisenhunt a little bit worried and so when he gave the competition in 2012 in training camp Cobb Scott if you guys remember that what a uh, I remember that training camp it was in Flagstaff it was the last year in Flagstaff and you know we detailed every practice of how Cobb did how Skelton did and Skelton ended up winning the, winning the starting job and it was kind of like well why I think the kind of ultimatum that, that Cobb said probably spooked Wisenhunt and was a major reason why Skelton got the starting job. Now, I've, I've ranted and, and wandered from that. I'd like to, what were your takeaways from this story for you, Seth, when you heard it? I mean, the first thing I think is what I've always said. You know, I, I think you and I do an excellent job to never try and insinuate that guys are soft or not playing hard. Um, and, and so I think, you know, like I said, you and I do a nice job of that. And that's props to us. It's why we tend to most of the time, I would say side with players. I think you feel the same way, right? That yeah. we, we kind of, you know, side with the players. Football kind of sucks for that, by the way. Right. Right. And so <clears throat> we look at it and we, you know, we go that route with it. And, um, you know, it's one of those situations where it's disappointing. And I think you really saw it after. Now, when did he say again the first concussion was? It was the second game of the year. It was it was the middle of the game against the Redskins. And he, but he continued to play. He did. Right? He didn't tell anyone. Like that, that in, in terms of that, that was on him. But that was that was definitely the culture of the NFL. They didn't have independent spotters back then. So the only thing that happened with concussions would be self-reporting or something obvious that the team doctors saw or trainers saw and guess what there's when it's your starting quarterback guess what yeah you tend to overlook those you, you overlook that heck even now even now that gets missed remember that old mess last year with Tua yeah and you look at those games right so you look at the games so his first game against Carolina they won he, then they, they lost won. six straight he throws for over 300 yards right um and two touchdowns and then after that those six games that you're mentioning right they go they go um sorry hold on it's not clicking like i asked it to 
Uh, there we go. Now pull up. Wake up. No? Okay, there we go. So in those games, he completed 55% of his passes. He had six touchdowns, eight interceptions. Like Jess said, they went 0-6. And, and you look back at it now, and, and by the way, his quarterback rating was uh, 70. Not his QBR, his quarterback rating. Which is pretty, and, pretty atrocious. Yeah, like anything below 85 is considered, you know, less than average. So to be 70 is bad. Um, and and if you take out the Washington game, four touchdowns, seven interceptions in five games. And and he said in that story that it, it, what ended up being the, the sixth loss in a row was the Ravens game. Right. That was the was... first game that he was right that he like it was a week it was a week after their bye so they came back from the bye lost another game but then they played Baltimore he's in that story says it was the first game that he was not dealing with symptoms and they were rolling they were up 24-3 on the Ravens in that game and so he was and then he hurt his toe um when he shouldn't like it was he shouldn't have he was reckless with the body because he was mobile enough but wasn't built big enough to to take on those type of hits. But you could tell if you, if if we notice kind of the stat line that Baltimore game when he was finally healthy, they were rolling. Then he got hurt again. Um, then then we know the rest of the story. Skelton takes him to two and two. He comes back. Cobb comes back. They win that game in overtime against the Cowboys. And then and by the way, he was. Really good in that game. It was it was nice. It was very efficient. Like the type yeah. of game that we kind of expect. We didn't, no one expected him to be like Kurt Warner type, but we we felt that you know, kind of a Matt Hasselbeck type, streaky type play. Like you get in a rhythm and he, you can win with him. Um, then he takes the concussion. Then then Skelton starts the rest of the season. They see some success. The defense uh, starts playing well. And they end up going eight and eight, and that goes from there. But yeah, it's a lot. We we can look back on that season and see, oh, that's why there were struggles. He was struggling with his head. Now there were some there's some stuff later that happened. Like he really struggled with things post career, um, some really scary type things. But at least on the Cardinals side of things, it, it's. I don't want to say like this was a discussion on on the PHNX show. Is did the Cardinals do him dirty? I don't think they did. That was kind of the culture of the NFL back then, so it wasn't anything out of the ordinary. But I, I'm convinced now that part of the factor, part of the of the decision that Wisenhunt went with Skelton instead of Cobb, when honestly it kind of felt like all through training camp, neither one of those guys pulled ahead of the other. And with the thought of not being able to rely on Cobb, like because of the of the head, the head injuries, because he said if he suffered another concussion he would be done. Let's go with the guy to trust a little bit more. Yeah, and so you know you look at it, it's one of those situations where is it a big what if? I don't know. I mean, let's be honest. You know, was I was so excited about Kevin Cobb. Yeah, and and he was you know. He didn't play poorly. 
And then, like you said, he got injured again. And, and you know, that that 2012 season, you know, they were 3-0 and or 3-2. and They were 4-0. and Yeah, they, they were. Th- he didn't yeah, technically so was, start the first game. Yeah, so, he, yes, he didn't start the first game. So, technically, they went 3-0, and 3-1, and and then 4-1 and yeah. because they won that Bills game in overtime. Mine says it was a loss. Wait, wait, was it sixteen nineteen? And that's and that's the one he got injured in again. Yeah, so they they lost in overtime, right? Oh, okay, that yeah, was yeah. when Feely hit that sixty one yarder to to tie the game after right. after he got hurt. Okay, and so you know you look at it and what could have been is definitely a thing, but at the same time, you know for the Cardinals it worked out. You just, I mean, you really truly do feel bad for a guy. And it's, I know it's hard to feel bad for a guy and Kevin Cobb who made so millions of dollars. Blah, blah, blah. But like, think about a guy like Kevin Cobb. He finally gets his shot to compete with a guy. And he literally gets injured in his second game of his career or of, of his starting career with the Cardinals. So yeah, he made $29 million. That's more money than Jess and I'll ever <laughs> see in our entire life. And that's fine. But he, he lost out on so much more and now, you know, and, and he really did kind of play scared. And I don't mean to like, again, question him or, anything like that but he did don't you think you know it like if, if there's one thing that he was known for was running backwards I, and to his right yeah I, I maybe it was that because he he took a few he took fewer risks that year in 2012 when he played it's it's you know when he was when he was healthy he could sling the ball yeah he is, yeah. I, I. It's one of those guys. It's just his body failed him. They, it, it wasn't anything right. that was his fault. It's just his body couldn't take the pounding of the NFL. It seemed like one, he got hit more than the average quarterback would, and that his frame just didn't allow him the the same type of toughness that. No, not not toughness, but resiliency, like Carson Palmer had when you have these these larger frame quarterback. But he wasn't small, but he was on the leaner end of the traditional quarterback size. Correct, and and he wasn't, you know, like you said, he wasn't an overly thick guy. You know, they, uh, I mean, 6'3", 218, he's not bad size. But, yeah, I mean, it's just like, sad. It, 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 you know, the 230, which was kind of the prototype back then. So he was on the lean end of that. Well, and in in the Wiz and Hunt offense, which was also the, the you know, Arians offense. What yes. is that? The, the Earhart Pickens where they're airing it out. And it's just, you know, it makes it tough. And, and so... It's just, it really is a sad situation that that's how his career basically unfolded. Um, and we never really got to see what or who he was as, as, as a full-time player. But, I mean, who is the guy 
without being crass, that the Cardinals knocked out too. Was it a Trent? Remember when uh, the Cardinals knocked him out of a game and basically did similar to his career, right? Like, yeah, it was it was Trent Edwards. Yeah, Trent Edwards, and it was, I, I don't remember. It may have even been that game we're discussing. I truly don't remember. Uh, but, you know, there are guys, and, and Edwards was 6'4 and 230. Like, once you get hit like that, once you get knocked out one time, it's just, it, it literally becomes really difficult for you. It cut and, short Troy Aikman's career. It cut short Steve Young's career. Right. And, and those guys were obviously much better talents but at the same time it's one of those situations so i wanted to throw this in too because kyle odegaard uh compare.bet just tweeted something out and it's in regard to buddha but i just want to mention it because i thought it was kind of prevalent what you and i were just talking about steve kime caved when dj humphreys and marcus golden did the hold-in thing last year monty Osenfort needs to hold firm even if buddha makes a lot of noise you know, and and so that's kind of what we're saying, right? Like, this isn't anything against Buddha. It's just not. And I think you and I want to stress that more than anything else, right? Like, we're not anti-Buddha. But at the same time, like, they need to reestablish who's running things there. Yeah. Um, I will and, say and that the Kime situation with both DJ and Marcus were touched different. Because they were entering the final year of their deal. They were. You were correct. That, that is the just... one thing that's different. And I think Humphreys in particular, an extension was an inevitability. The The Marcus Golden thing was interesting because it ended up being a flop. And, and, and the truth is he did get hurt because he dropped the kettlebell on his toe. But right, his own fault. But yeah, so to end on the the Cobb thing though, it's I'm glad and it sucks that it has to come from this, obviously. Um, but I'm glad that there is some vindication of why he ended up not working out. Yeah. As opposed to it just being like, Oh, he sucked, like blah, blah, <laughs> blah. Like nope. there's a lot Head of things injuries. that w- we truly, truly don't know or don't understand. Um, and so I think that's something that we always, always have to keep in mind. Coming to next on the Reds of Red podcast, Mr. Cardinals talk on the web. We're going to talk about the, the Nick Rollis, Jonathan Gannon defense, which might look a little bit different than we thought it would. That's coming to next on Reds of Red. We're back on the Rise of Red podcast, Mr. Cardinals talk on the web. I think it's been kind of understood and expected. Seth and I have both discussed this based on what we've seen from from the from the defenses in Minnesota, the defense of Indianapolis, and then Jonathan Gannon's defense last year in Philadelphia. That the Cardinals would officially be running a four three, right? We we we've gone with that assumption all off season, right? Yeah, I think that's you know based on personnel, kind of decisions, uh, signings, all of that stuff. I think that's what we believe we will see. However. A lot of signs. Now, people told me this in Twitter, and on Twitter, and I understand this. Jonathan Gann has been very clear that they're going to be multiple, that they're not going to be, they're, they're going to be a lot of different things. However, if we just look at roster composition, we look at the coaching staff, 
we look at the the roster designations now. Now these I'm, I'm potentially these could change. It looks like the Cardinals are still a three four team. Hear me out. They have an they have an outside linebackers coach, and he works with the edge guys. Okay, that's one. On the roster, they haven't made any changes yet. Now, granted, we're just in the we're in the voluntary part of the offseason, but when they drafted B.J. Ojolari, you know, as an edge guy, he would probably be a small defensive end. We figured that Cameron Thomas would end up being a defensive end. Things like that. However, it's the their roster does not have just linebacker defensive line, which is how Indies is how it's in Minnesota and in Philadelphia how they designated their roster. Still, the Cardinals keep things listed at inside backer and outside backer, which in a four three defense you have. If you're going to designate linebackers you're going to have MLB middle linebacker and outside backers who aren't edge guys. But right now, right now we have the guys that we know as edge defenders come out of college and they have that designation edge working with the outside linebackers coach, Zaven Collins playing some outside linebacker in, in, in early practices, working with the edge guys. And I know this could change, but I, I think what we might be looking at, actually, and I don't know how much of this is is Austin Fort or just kind of the tradition here that 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 a three four base defense. Technically, the Cardinals have been a three four defense for years. So last year they really weren't a three four defense. It was basically a four three with how they had their personnel last year. We might be looking at what on paper is a. 3-4 base defense, which makes personnel kind of interesting to me. Yeah, and you look at obviously it's incredibly tentative right now. Um, but our lads does a nice job of trying to like stack what they're hearing or, or what teams are willing to give them about depth charts. So if you're interested, go to our lads dot com not a sponsor of the show but just a good reference and tool that you can play around with and you look at it they have their alignment you know remaining the same and obviously these are subject to change right but you look at it you've got defensive end nose tackle defense tackle with with two outside backers two inside backers as you're talking about the 34 and when you look at what they have you know uh, obviously, we know Ledbetter, Fotu, Lawrence. Um, they added Carlos Watkins, who's kind of a true nose guy, right? Um, and Collier, then, though, is interesting because he's Col- a, he's a think, solid 4-3 out uh, defensive end, though I think they're going to be using him inside. Well, and that's what I'm saying. At 6'2", 290, he actually fits the profile more similarly to what you have in Jonathan Ledbetter, playing that 34 defensive end spot, right? Like a, a souped up kind of power guy that's got interior quickness if need be because you're flanking him. And obviously this is early and the, they're just piecing things together. But, you know, with my Jay Sanders and and, and Cam Thomas. Like, and B.J. Jolari, who interestingly enough profiles much better 
to a three, four outside backer. Yeah. And so when you just look at all of it, you just kind of, you see that right now you from a couple of things, one, um, your best players, unfortunately, and this is not a shot at anybody, your best players remain at, at linebacker, right? Uh, Zavin, obviously the addition of Kaiser White, and then whatever you're going to do with Isaiah Simmons and and safety, obviously, Buddha and Jalen, as we talked about. So realistically, with what this team has at this moment, you don't necessarily want to have too many defense, true defensive linemen on the field at this point, right? Like, I, I and and again, I we like Lecky Foto, Rashard Lawrence. We wish that Lawrence could stay healthy. We're very intrigued with LJ Collier. I think both you and I are. Um, we are excited about Watkins, understanding that he is a rotational nose tackle kind of only right like we're we're excited about that but he's done it well for for a number of years um but if i read to you you know led better to lawrence collier Watkins, kevin strong another name they added and then obviously dante stills and you can even throw jacob slade because of how much money they gave him or sanders collins white thomas simmons ojalari Barnes and uh you know even throw in like Josh Woods or or Owen Papoa which group excites you more right like which which group are you going to be like oh we would rather have more of those guys on the field than those guys and and so I think I think you're right until they get until they get guys that can run more of a four three or four two five with you know Simmons being uh, that other safety slash nickel kind of guy. Um, don't you think that you and and doesn't it tell you about Rallis and Gannon and their flexibility? Doesn't that kind of make you yes. excited too? It, it does. That, the fact that they've they've been like they've been in what are traditional on paper four three defenses and they come in and you're like okay we're still working with the three four roster and and i know that there's there's minimal different honestly because of sub packages it's really kind of minimum but just the fact that we all assumed four three yet they still keep that they have their pass rushing coach is an outside linebackers coach and which is kind of fun because it, let's go back to 2018 when Steve Wilkes was talking about well we're gonna we're gonna be hybrid we're gonna be multiple and he ran and he, he straight up ran a four three that he's always run which we sort of expected and that was really a sticking point to the front office because they felt deceived I didn't feel deceived I actually felt that the move to a four three minus Hassan Reddick, Padillo, and Buchanan was a better fit for most of the defense than than running the three than running something as a, as an odd front. But three, four, four, three—they're mostly the concepts are kind of the same overall. Most defenses look fairly the same, and I guess, but I I just find it very interesting 
that all the expectation we had, and and while maybe they make the positional designations, but I figured that though now those changes on the roster would have happened already once they started sort of the this part of camp, and they would be calling they would be calling their edged guys defensive ends, which they're not right now. Right, and they're calling them, you know, outside linebackers. And so, you know, and with the addition of Ojolari, again, he he fits kind of the Reddick profile. He's a little, little, little bit longer and, and things of that nature. But, um, you know, you look at it, I think, Again, I think ideally they want to run more of like a three-three-five with that edge guy and maybe Ojolari or Sanders or Thomas, whoever kind of hits the the best on that, um, and and roll them up, and then you're rushing four consistently, and then you can play games with Isaiah Simmons, Buda Baker, Jalen Thomas, and, and you really have a lot of a lot of things you can do. But again. One of the things that made the Philadelphia Eagles defense great was the way Jonathan Gannon deployed those weapons. And and let's just be honest. He doesn't have Javon Hargrave and Fletcher Cox. Nope. Um, or Jordan he Davis in, in his pocket. Or <laughs> Right. And he doesn't even have a Josh Sweat. I mean, Josh Sweat would 100% be the best pass rusher on this team. So, you know, you, we're hoping that Ojolari turns out. We're hoping that Sanders and Thomas continue to grow. But, you know, he's going to – and that's why I said, again, that's what makes him interesting and why you like him so far is because you're like – you can see that it's like, oh, I'm going to I'm gonna try to find a way to get my most talented players on the field and in a position to be successful, knowing that up front right now we just is not our our forte and yeah like i said like josh sweat the last three seasons six sacks seven and a half sacks 11 sacks that would <laughs> legitimately be the best pass rusher on the cardinals yeah. roster right now the, and the so, one thing the one thing for me that that's interesting if they're going to be running a more three four look how are they going to use are they are they going to put saving on the edge what are they going to do with sand like simmons white collins we've all We've always understood, okay, that's perfect. You run a quote on you know, air quote four three defense, those are your three linebackers. But if you're what are you are what are they doing then? That that's the part for me that's gonna be are they gonna rotate linebackers more than we normally see teams do? Because in like in a three four scheme, unless unless you just don't like your linebackers, you usually have two guys that you don't take off the field. Unless you've got unless you've got limited skill guys and that with the guys the Cardinals have drafted because Kaiser White ideally is your is going to be your your Mike in this case in in a 3-4 play caller but you've got first round picks Isaiah Simmons and Zayvon Collins those are supposed to be guys you don't take off the field it's going to be really interesting to see how they use both of those Zayvon was playing with the edge guys uh, early in in some of the workouts and so we'll see if that continues but I'm, I'm more and more and more intrigued about what what we're going to see, and and I'm interesting. I'm interesting to see what happens what what they do with training camp this year because the Cardinals were super open before, and they seem to bottle things up a little bit with Cliff Kingsbury a little bit. I wonder what the the take is going to be this time around, or when they had mini camp and 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 media members can be there, how much they show, 
because that'll that'll reveal some and how much if they show things how much we're allowed to talk about right and 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 so you know i'm just this is what's going to be fun over the off season especially when we see some things that we can talk about you know uh, moving forward and then when we see the things that we can't talk about so you and i are having conversations <laughs> off the air and going can you believe that's what they're doing you know <laughs> and uh, we might allude to some things because it's different you know you know what what shows up in print on the internet and what we can talk about hypothetically here a little bit different anyway come to next on the rise of seaward podcast the our cardinals talk of the web Last little segment's talking about, oh, exciting, punter long snapper. Looks like we're closing the door on one air and opened a door on another. That's coming next on Rise of Sea Red. We're back on the Rise of Sea Red podcast. This is our Cardinals talk on the web. It would appear, and I thought this was probably the case, but I think especially now, I think we've seen the end of Andy Lee. Um, I don't know if it was him deciding he's done with football because he hasn't announced anything. But he hasn't been signed by another team, and he hasn't been signed by the Cardinals. And the Cardinals just signed a punter. And, and honestly, I'm glad because I didn't want to go into training camp with Nolan Cooney as the option, even though he might be might turn out to be good. He's never done it. He's never done it at the NFL level yet. They signed um, Nat Hawk, former ASU punter, but for the last seven seasons has been the punter for an NFL team and has not missed any games in his NFL career. He spent spent time with the Bills, Dolphins, and the Colts. It was last year. He was their punter last year, Um, which makes it kind of interesting. He's he's turning 29 this year. But do you think, as, 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 as I think as well, that we've officially closed the door on Andy Lee? Barring injury, I would think so. And and do you think, I mean, obviously he's still a free agent, but do you think Andy wants to like go through all the offseason workouts and do all that, uh, that stuff? That might, well, let's be honest, punters, it, if you've seen them do it, their workouts are they're, like their OTA, their offseason work, it's dinking around. <laughs> I mean, they obviously work out, but. Right. But it's, yeah, to your point, it's, <laughs> they have their own kind of stuff. And, and you look at it. You know, his net yards this year were were right in the middle of his career average. You know, he's definitely fallen down since 18, 19, and 21, where he was a full yard, net yard above that. And that's what matters, as we know, net yardage. Um, and so, you know, and then, and then inside the 20, um, he hasn't been great at that you know, especially the last couple of years. Now, obviously you can, you can say, well, you know, where is he punting from this, that, and the other, but the last two years have been two of the worst five of his career in terms of, um, percentage of punts going in side the 20. Um, whereas, he's also higher in in the last couple of seasons in terms of touchbacks and so you know it's just, i mean how much longer do you want a guy to play for 19 years is a long ass right, time right at, at at let's be honest nine i mean you've been a teacher for what 20 years now 22 
Yeah. And you're probably like, you probably are usually like at the end of the school, you're like, I need a break. And I don't know <laughs> if I can, I don't know if I can come back next year. <laughs> like, you know, so, so it's just one of those situations where I think bring in Matt hack is smart. He's been a successful NFL punter giving the young guy a shot as well against smart. Um, and, and God forbid you just make a phone call <laughs> at yeah, the end. Right. My, my, my one thing, cause it also appears that they've moved on from Aaron Brewer because, um, they have two long snappers in camp uh, on the roster right now. Um, Joe Fortunato, who was, um, who was a long snapper for the, for the Packers for about a half a season. And then they just brought in an undrafted rookie. Uh, I think Oklahoma State's Matt Hembro. And they haven't brought they haven't brought back Boer, which makes this very interesting. I almost expected the entire special teams battery to be ba- to be changed over. But when they re-signed Matt Prater for two years, I was like, okay, maybe we're gonna see the whole group back together again because what what did we see out of Matt Prater when either long snapper or holder was changed? Blech. It was not good. And to bring back Prater, I thought it was going to be a lock that we saw Lee or Brewer, but it looks like we're going to have neither, which is, to me, quite interesting. Yeah, and do you think this is, again, a whole regime deal? Where they're looking at it and going, hey, and uh, here's the thing, though. I mean, because uh, I know Jeff, Jeff Rogers kind of referred to I was hoping, say they Jeff, would, ho- hoping that they would bring them back. Um, so I don't know. I, I don't know if that was that was something that was had or or it, honestly, because we haven't heard anything otherwise. Maybe Brewer and Lee were done. There's always that possibility. And, and that's what I'm wondering if they're just both done. I mean, again, you only have so many how much so much time you want to get prepared for this again. And and I think both of them getting hurt last year kind of, you know, changed things too. Right? Like they both didn't get through a full season. So you look at it and you go, uh, you know, do I really want to go out there and do this again? I mean, I'm looking right now, Andy Lee made more money than Kevin Cobb in his career. He's up to thirty four million. <laughs> that's that's again not bad um not a bad life, right? Like that's you know a good one. And then Aaron Brewer, the long snapper, his career earnings, and he's played for eleven years. Wow, just under ten million. So again, you know, will he want to do that? Is that something he will want to do more? You know, he's been with the organization for eight years, so which is what four coaching regimes. So I doubt it had anything to do with him not acquiescing or being interested in being back it probably just had more to do with it those two deciding they were ready to move on very possibly so with that we will wrap up this edition of the rise up series podcast best of cardinals talk on the web we will have bring back a, a a shorter show later this week uh that will be our prediction show as much as we can try to predict wins and losses and then next week we will probably have the week off. I might do a solo pod. Um, I've got high school graduation for my other job. And 
you know, we'll be it'll be the very beginning of OTA, so it probably won't be much to talk about. So we'll be back again on Thursday night or dropping on Friday with a, probably a small break after that. That's Seth Cox. I'm Just Root. This is Rise Up Series Podcast. Thanks for listening as always. Thanks for listening to the latest edition of the Rise Up Sea Red Podcast. Listen to previous episodes and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, Audioboom, or many other podcast platforms so shows are delivered directly to your mobile device. Please give the show a five-star rating and always support the sponsors who support the show. We'll be back soon for the best hour of Cardinals talk on the web. Rise up Red Sea, be Red Sea Red, and of course, rise up Sea Red. Sea Red.